Monday of game week, it's just different. It hits different. It feels different. It's uh, something that has been in my blood my whole life. So when you listen to Red Dirt music, it's like that last Rebel sound to me. It is a combination of uh, Southern rock and jazz and uh, bluegrass. And, and for Skip Bayless to come out and say, I don't feel bad for him and kind of belittle him and say, how dare you? How dare you as the leader of America's team show weakness? Honestly, I want to say what I want to say. This is the Sam Mays Podcast. Welcome. I'm Sam Mays. And joining us tonight is Mike Hardball Hardage, morning show host on AM 1300 The Zone in Austin, Texas. We're going to talk a little OU Texas and more today. Mike, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, man. You know, I appreciate you giving me a shout and uh, having me on with your show. I love what you do, and, and I'm glad to be a part of it, bro. I, I, I've been looking forward to this. You know, we haven't had a chance to really kind of just sit down and chat uh, before, and, and obviously the weekend is massive. We're talking OU Texas, but in a way that I have never covered this game uh, with two teams that look a little bit punch drunk, right? They come into this game, uh, Texas after losing last week to TCU, Oklahoma's lost two straight for the first time in 22 years. And it's kind of difficult to look at this game and think, you know, what do we expect? Like, what are the, what are the, what's the expectations for four quarters of football between a Texas who, in my opinion, has still has no identity post-Mac Brown and an Oklahoma that has known nothing but tremendous success over the fat, last five years. And now they're sitting here with this whole, well, who are we? What are we doing? We lost two games in a row and there's freshmen leading this team and, uh, you know, they lost Neville Gallimore. They lost a bunch of big names, and and no one knows what's next. And I just find it absolutely incredible, and I cannot wait to get till Saturday. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way because, as you stated, I mean, you're sitting here, you look at it, it's a punch-drunk type of meeting. The, the luster uh, 2020 is COVID-driven, so there's not going to be the same atmosphere. But at the end of the day, these are two fan bases that hate each other. This is two uh, teams that do not like each other when it comes to being on the field. You know, there's a lot of kids that grew up together. They go to different schools. Now they're getting ready to have this fight. But when, when I sit here and I, I've been thinking about this all week, and this is the first year that I have not been excited to see what both teams can do. And the reason right. why I say that is because a couple of weeks ago, we probably thought this was going to be a top five matchup between these two teams. Texas, you're, you're, you you got your fourth year. You've had the top ten recruiting classes. And then Oklahoma, you, this is the first year that Lincoln Riley is doing it with a quarterback that hasn't struggled at other programs. And what I mean by that is Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts, and Kyler Murray, they went through their growing pains other places. When they got to Lincoln, they had time to – absorb everything and kind of kind of learn from others. But when you start looking at this matchup and you say, we're walking into the Red River shootout at a point where everybody is looking at each other of not who wins, but more of the fact of who loses. Whoever loses this game, what is their end game? What is going to happen? 
what fan bases are going to lose their mind because you hit on it. <laughs> Oklahoma has been in this territory in what? James Blake? Yeah, was literally. that it? Was that the last time they were in this situation? And I mean, Texas was going through it. Charlie Strong, Tom Herman, Matt Brown. When you get to Tom Herman, Tom Herman was preaching, we're going to change this program. We're going to be tough. We're going to be this. We're going to be that. And then you go back and you look at it. And I brought this up the other day. I said, well, if you look at it, he lost six games. He lost four games on that 10 and four season. People were like, we won the Sugar Bowl 10 and four. I was like, we lost four games. And then you look at what last year was. You lost five games. And then he goes to a bowl game and everybody forgets about how bad and the same mistakes that are being made. And then you go to Oklahoma, you said it, Neville Gallimore. But to me, Neville Gallimore is just one of the people that are gone. But losing Kenneth Murray on that defense, right? people have went at Kenneth Murray so hard for, for years. And I'm like, what are y'all not understanding? This kid is good. He just was in a bad defensive scheme for the first couple of years. And then Alex Grinch comes in and you're thinking, okay, here they go. Here they go. But the atmosphere of this year, the re- this game being here, and no one is really hyping this game up as a game of the day, yeah, that's very disappointing for the fact that the, these two universities, who Oklahoma obviously is the crown jewel, but Texas is supposed to be right there. And Texas is 2-1-1, and one, but they feel like they're 0-3, to be quite honest with you. You know, I, I love what you said to kind of start that conversation as far as, you know, just the Oklahoma's quarterbacks and how they had gone through growing pain somewhere else. And it never had dawned on me. Like, I, I've been talking about this team and uh, this the last five years for, you know, through quarantine, through – I mean, and this is – we're looking for any angle to discuss. And I promise you, not one time did I talk about how Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts all had their growing pains – somewhere else and this is the first time that Oklahoma's had a quarterback on campus that is doing that here in Norman that's crazy like that's a crazy conversation to have but very very true and so now you take that information and you add it to this game Ellinger has now played against four (laughs) different OU quarterbacks in the Red River shootout and you almost feel like due to COVID that maybe the advantage that he naturally has here with so much experience is kind of gone, right? Because this will be the first time he's done it like this. Now, I know how you love this game, and I know how I love this game. This is like the unofficial, um, we are in the sports media that covers the Big 12 in Oklahoma and Texas, and we love our jobs, so we're going to go down to Dallas every year and just party like rock stars and have a great time and watch a great football game spend time at the fair. This is like our unofficial celebration of football season, and we're not going to be able to have it. And you and I will walk into this game, we'll sit up in the press box, and we'll watch 25,000 fans take the seats. There will be no fair on the fairgrounds when we park, and it's going to be weird from the time we get there to the time the game ends, and it's going to be the same way for Spencer Rattler, but it's going to be the same way for Sam Ellinger also, right? Right, right. And that's the thing about it. You know, Sam was asked this week during a presser, it was like, what would you tell your young Sam about being at this point? And he said, well, you'll go against the greatest quarterback stretch at one school that 
probably anyone would ever see. To your point about Kyler Murray, uh, I mean, excuse me, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and then Jalen Hurts, and now Spencer Rattler, who has the potential to be, by the time he's at their age, senior year, could be just as good as all of them. But he's going through that growing pain. And to your point of the 25,000 people in the stands, I mean, yeah, it's going to be rowdy. You're still going to have the 50-50 split. But Sam is going to be just a normal guy that's out there playing with his team, just like Spencer Rattler. He's not going to have – I mean, the experience that he has is going to be great. That's cool. But is it going to be any different for the situation for Spencer? I don't think so. Right. And the biggest thing about this game that I've been thinking about also, Sam, and and you'll appreciate this, is have you ever seen Lincoln Riley back into a corner? Right. We've seen Tom Herman. We've seen Tom Herman back into a corner, and that's why – People are like, oh, he's so good in these bowl games. But coming off of a bye, he's lost games, and people have been upset about that. The team hadn't played well. And over the last four years, you haven't seen this team get more disciplined, have you? No. Those are the things that have this fan base going crazy. Those are the things that he's one in three against Lincoln. It's even worse when it comes to Gary Patterson, you know, they've lost to Gary Patterson back to back years. And, and people are looking at this and saying, is Tom Herman the guy? Now he's still two and one. And that's why I keep saying it. Like we're, and he hasn't had a losing season per se, but it does feel like a losing season, right? Like I said, six, he won, he was seven and six, 10 and four and eight and five. That's not good for what you consider the flagship, right? I mean, that's where people are losing their mind because he was supposed to be the savior. I have good friends that are former former players at the University of Texas. And we have conversations every week because I want to get the pulse from the former players, just like yourself when you look at Oklahoma State and how you feel about Gundy. I mean, you were part of it. You mean? Me and you have had conversations about Gundy, but he's considered an underachiever, right? So Absolutely. when you look at what Tom Herman is, with all the talent, as I said, Gary Patterson is what, right? 80th in recruiting. <laughs> right. Oklahoma State, 81 in recruiting, but they always play Texas to this to this level where I'm sick and tired of everyone saying Texas is everybody's Super Bowl. No, it shouldn't be. Because Texas is, at the end of the day, when you look at their records, they're considered average. Right. I I cannot stress to you enough how it annoys me uh, when people talk about Texas like that because I want to say, y'all don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, you have never... And you don't know tech... If you are are new to college football or born... Uh, it's let's say you're an 18 year old right now. You have no idea what Texas football is. You have no idea because the Texas football that I know, those dudes played for keeps period. And it wasn't the starting 22. It was like 55 of those cats. They were deeper than any team in college football. And when they took the field, there was a fear factor that went into that game for anybody that played with them. That if you're, te- if you don't trust your technique and you guys aren't on your shit tonight, 
not only will they beat your ass, but they're going to hurt you. Like, that was Texas football. And I get so frustrated with Tom Herman, and I told you this on your show the other day, and I felt bad when I got off the air. 7.30 in the morning, I get up. Y'all do a great job getting me keyed up. Like, I love it. I love our relationship. It's a ton of fun because um, you know who I am. Like, I'm not I'm not pulling any punches. Right. I told Mike Gundy a bitch every, right. every day on the radio. Like, I got no problem doing that. It is what it is. I just right. cannot understand how how Texas, the university, and this is not even a Tom Herman thing, really, how that university cannot find someone that gets it. The Longhorn brand is unlike any brand in college football. The state of Texas is unlike any state involved with college football. Those people, those high school coaches, those high school players, they beat their chests, and on every one of them is a big-ass Texas State flag, and there is a pride factor that Tom Herman, from the first time I saw him, I'll never forget it, was on that damn podium at Big 12 Media Days, and he was the most punchable person that I have ever been associated with in a press conference. And I thought to myself, he doesn't get it. He doesn't know what Texas football is about. Because as ruthless as they were on the field, there is a Southern Texas charm about the program and the way they interact with the media and the way that they present themselves. It's bigger than life. It's a big, giant Texas smile on their face. And it is a pride factor. We are proud to be from Austin. We're proud to be the flagship. We're proud to be these things. Tom Herman has literally ignored the entire Texas brand the entire time that he's had the job and it blows me away that they just allow it to happen. That dude called it OU Texas this weekend or this week, Mike. Bro, that, that, that should, I mean, that had me so hot and it had our fan base so ridiculously hot, man. That if, 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 if you, if you are the head coach at Texas and you say, OU Texas week, some people said his ass should have been fired right then. It's a fireable the offense. Agreed. It's a fireable offense. It is. It really is. And then, and then you're really about to be pissed off, bro, because this shit really had us heated on our show the other day. Is During our show, they, they, they put out this little hype video about this weekend, the Red River shootout, how this game is about to happen. And they started – the piece, the hype video, when it's saying it is OU Texas no. and it will always be that. And this ended the hype video with the exact same statement. Holy shit. Yes, yes, bro. And that's exactly what we all said was holy shit. What in the hell are they doing? Who who approved this message? You know oh, how they run shit. those campaigns? You yeah. know how they run those campaign yes. commercials? And they said, I am such and such and I approve this message. I needed someone to stand in front of that and say, I approve this message because people lost their minds and rightfully so. Rightfully so. And so that takes you back to what you said when you saw him on the podium when he took the job at Big 12 Media Days 
and he goes in there and says the things that he said. And that, to me, takes us full circle. And it goes back to what I said about this game this weekend. It's not about who wins the game. It's about which coach loses the game and what happens next. And that is what I'm here for now. All right, let's take a look at the game in itself. Uh, you know, I'll tell you this about Oklahoma. The offensive line, the interior in particular, Creed Humphreys, both guards, struggling. And I want to tell you that a lot of this, just from my experience playing the position, I can't imagine what it would be like even as a senior, Mike, honestly. Like as a junior and a senior, let's say, you know, I'm, I'm a second team, uh, all Big 12 player as a sophomore. I'm projected first team as a junior uh, and first team All-American as a senior. Clearly, I know how to play football. I can't imagine what it would have been like as a lineman to not have a spring to work on things and to not have a competitive summer. And what I mean by that is, would Sam Mays back in 2003 been in the gym working his ass off at home, getting ready for the season? Absolutely. But you know this, you're a professional athlete, played in the Major League Baseball 13 years. There's a big difference in working out by yourself and then being pushed by your brothers like being in a room full of dudes that are also working as hard as you are. And it, and it confirms, Absolutely. it confirms that you're working hard when you see that, well, that dude's a pretty damn good player too. Look how hard he's working. And at times it makes you work harder, right? Because if you're like me, you want to be a leader of your team. Well, I'm going to set the tone here. Well, you know, Jim's right. been in the weight room for four hours. I'm going to be in there for four hours, and 30 minutes, you know, things like that. And it just seems like, I would say offensive line play across the country was probably would, would be the position that suffered the most through COVID here. And I think when you look at Creed Humphreys, who was a projected first round pick coming into the season, who no longer is in my opinion. And those two guards who got every snap a year ago. And the fact that Bill Beatonbow is one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. And they're, they still have digressed. That to me just shows you that this was a COVID-19 situation in Norman probably more than anything. And those three guys are the ones that have had the biggest impact. Ely doesn't look bad on the right side, but tackles different than guards and, and centers. And same thing on the left side. And you have a, you, know, you got a true freshman over there who's playing his tail off and he's going to, it's trial by fire. He's going to get a real taste of what big 12 football is and what it's about this weekend against the Longhorns. But to me, this game starts there. Oklahoma can't run the football like they have the last several years. And if they can't run the football, they can't keep Sam Ellinger off the field and if Ellinger's on the field a bunch, Texas is going to score a ton, you would think, against Oklahoma's defense. But, but I, would, I would agree with you 100%. I think Texas' defensive line has been the backbone of this team last week. Joseph Osai, who's a monster, had 11 tackles. But Keandre Colbert had 11 tackles as well as a defensive lineman. And you say, wow, my man was doing some things. But here's the biggest thing for me, and I – and I think you hit the nail on the head that you haven't had that opportunity to mesh with your brothers. And then you got to remember too, remember they kind of came back late. They weren't doing the things that they were going to do because they kept saying, we don't need to be back early. We don't need to be back early. We need to rest. We need to do this. We need to make sure it's safe. So they kind of missed the mark on that by, by doing the right thing because of COVID, but it also, put them behind the eight ball because nobody else was, was sitting at home. And for me, going back to Sam Ellinger and the offense scoring, but just remember, Texas defense isn't stopping anybody either. And that's another thing. So uh, if, if I'm a betting man, I'm betting the over this weekend. And 
the last I saw it was seventy two and a half, and I, I I'm not gonna, I'm not afraid of that number. Although it sounds crazy, but I'm not afraid of that number. But I do pay attention a lot more to that interior, especially Creed Humphrey, because he's he's gonna turn this around, Sam. I, I mean. Like you said, you know how it is. You've been in those trenches. You right. you know how much work you're gonna put into it. And if you see your projection slipping, but then when the coaches and everybody do the evaluation, they realize, hey, these guys haven't played that much together, and they're trying to get everything together. Yeah, they'll be able to flip the script. But the biggest thing for me, as far as this game and breaking it down. Who gets the ball last is going to be it, bro. Right. <laughs> because because of your point, I'm sitting here looking at it. Texas is giving up 30 points per game. 30 points per game. And, and Oklahoma is giving up 25. So, yeah, it looks like they're not going to stop anything. But then again, these two teams, they may be scoring so fast that it just screws everything up. Right. I, I hope, I hope, I hope it's a defensive battle. I hope these coaches, Alex Grinch and Chris Ash, the defensive coordinators for both teams, get it together. But at the end of the day, Sam, and you know this better than anybody because you played the game at the highest level, and especially in this, you've seen what it's about. If you don't have the heart to finish games, when you've got a chance to put your foot on somebody's throat, and you don't do that, it's never going to happen. And that's where both of these teams are. Texas has a chance for the first time in a long time to bury Oklahoma and be the one to put the foot, to put the nail in the coffin. Texas has this opportunity. But if you had to bet your house on it, would you bet Texas winning this game right now? Man, I honestly think I'd probably bet Texas before I bet Oklahoma. Uh, and I think that might just be because of I'm witnessing Oklahoma in person and you're witnessing Texas in person and we both have a little <laughs> and we both have a little PTSD, you know, after three games this season. Um, but, I, you know, I think that, you know, the, the closing out conversation is real, though, Mike. I mean, Oklahoma looks miserable in the fourth quarter. And for me, it's, it's a like I, I as much as you want to – Look, I'm I'm a big fan of telling coaches that they suck. Like it's these are these are college football coaches, not brain surgeons or politicians or the preacher of my church. I don't have to tell, do shit, but tell you the truth about how what you're doing. And when I look at Lincoln right. Riley and and Oklahoma's coaching staff, I almost feel a little bit bad for them because all they've done for years now is what they've been magnificent at finding a way to win. And last year is a prime right. example of this. Jalen Hurts can't throw the ball to save his fucking life. But Lincoln Riley finds a way to make that kid not only a feature back, but but make his what he can do in the passing game just good enough to continue to be great offensively. And once again, they put out another historic number on offense, and he's done it with three different quarterbacks, three different styles. Like, this dude knows football. So I'm not going to look at the first three games for Oklahoma and think to myself, well, Lincoln clearly is just off his game. Fuck that. It's not him. It's the players. And when you watch them, it's because they start to lose confidence. You know how Texas beats Oklahoma? Texas beats Oklahoma if they go out there and just have a bunch of big plays. Like, if you can, if you can get a bunch of big plays in the first half of this game and you go into halftime, Oklahoma's kids are absolutely panicking. They've lost it. They don't know how to react. 
They don't know how to refocus. Anything that's positive for the other team seems to have a lasting impact on this group emotionally and mentally. So I can't look at the coach and say, you got to fix this because the reality is it's not a coach's problem as much as it's a player problem and a player needs to address it. Well, welcome to Oklahoma 2020. There isn't a player there to address it. Outside of Creed Humphreys, there's no real voice, right? There hasn't been one found yet. And so you're sitting there looking at this game going, well, Ellinger, you know, whether it's a 25-yard scramble or a deep ball, one of those big-ass receivers that Texas has, it just seems like every little bit of, of chunk yardage that anybody gets is like a death sentence to this Oklahoma football team. And I can't imagine in a week that they fix that. That's why Lincoln said in his press conference, he's all like, well, we got to stay together. And the media is just writing notes down. I know what that means. I know exactly what that means. He means we can't be pointing the finger. You know, the offense can't say we scored 30 points last week and y'all suck. Defense, like that can't be the case here. And to keep that locker room together, though, there's got to be a, a couple of voices that stand up and say, hey, we've got this. We're ready for it. And the reality is they don't have those guys because nobody is consistent with what they do in the football field. So if you can't be consistent on the field yourself, how could you lead the rest of the team? And Oklahoma comes into this game essentially leaderless now because even Creed Humphreys, who's their best player, is not playing his best football. So I don't know what could have possibly happened this week to make that situation any better. That's why I'm sitting here going. I told you on the air the other day, for the first time I'm going to choose Texas to win this game because I can't for the life of me figure out what they could have done this week to fix the mental and emotional issues that they're having. I, I hear you and I feel you, but I'm sitting here looking at you and everything you just said is the exact same thing <laughs> that we feel here. Because if you sit here and you, you flip that entire conversation, it's the exact same thing that, that people are saying here. The narrative is what in the hell is going on? Do you realize in the last two weeks, Texas has given up 22 chunk plays. That's crazy. 22. That is crazy. In a college football game. 22, 11 against Tech, 11 against TCU. And what is it that every time Texas and Oklahoma play in the Cotton Bowl, how many plays happen where you're like, how in the hell did C.D. Lamb get into the end zone with five Texas Longhorns standing around him? Right. It happens. It's going to happen because that's what this is. So everything you said is what I'm feeling right now to have a better understanding of what can I expect from Texas. I told you, Joseph Osai. I told you, Keandre Coburn. Uh, maybe Taquan Graham. He's got a couple steps here and there. Jawan Mitchell is a monster on that defensive side, but he got ejected last week, which might have played into a little bit of what happened with TCU. Maybe, maybe not. But you can't explain 22 chunk plays in a college football game and expect your team to win those games. That's you crazy. You've football for a long time, brother. You're from Youngstown. You are sitting there 
looking at this deal and you're like, wait a minute, did you just say 22 chunk plays yeah, in that's a game? Wild. I mean, in two games? That's crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, and that is why this game scares me to death. I can walk into that stadium. I can be as excited as I want to be. I don't have to fight anybody coming in the stadium. I don't have to fight anybody going out because the crowd is going to be different. There's no watering. I get it. But when you look at this game, I'm looking at two teams that I'm more worried about who loses than I'm more worried about who wins. And that is a sad, sad state of affairs. Chip, Chip, my man Chip Brown called me Debbie Downer today because I was being so negative. And I said, well, I'm looking at all these stats, bro. And I'm like, it's a miracle that Texas is 2-1. Right. Right. It's a miracle. Because yes. that game, a, a game against Tech, Tech, Tech played not to win instead of playing to win. Because there's no way you lose a game with three minutes and 13 seconds with the clock running and you lose to Texas. Right. There's no way they should have done that. Because if you saw that game, you saw that Tech dominated that game. They That's were better wild. than everybody else. Right. Okay. Right. Well, we have established that both teams suck. So before we, <laughs> <laughs> so before we move on, uh, what are your give give me a score, man? Like I'm I'm gonna go Texas, and I you know I'm gonna change up my score a little bit from what I watched the Longhorns again today, uh, and I I think Ellinger is I got to give him some credit. Let me say this first: Sam Ellinger is 100 percent a true Texas quarterback, and I feel very bad for him that he didn't get the Texas experience while he was on campus. Because if there's anybody on that roster that believes in that brand, that believes in that stadium, that believes in those fans, that believes in that Texas flag and everything that goes along with the pageantry of Longhorn football, it is Sam Ellinger, 100%. And I just feel bad for him that he is on a field with a bunch of kids that don't, their coach hasn't put them in a place where they believe it or understand it even. And that is, that's frustrating. So, I'm going to go with Sam in this one because of the experience and who he is and the fact that I think he is going to run amok. I think he's going to have 100 yards rushing, and they're going to find a way to keep their asses on that field. It's going to be slow and methodic from Texas. I think they have the ability to do that. I think that this is a probably a, you know, I mean, for, to say they're going to score 45 points is probably legitimate. Um, so let, let's go. I'll go 42, uh, 35 Longhorns in this one. Wow, wow, we're in the same we're we're in the same area, but I think it's going to be uh, uh, Texas. I'm I'm going to pick Texas because of some of the things that you said. I think that this is going to be a time Um I'm not going to say Heisman moment, but it's going to be one of those things that everybody says, "Okay, this is what we were expecting from the University of Texas. This is how we expected them to use Sam." And I think it's going to be like a 48-41 to 41 game just because I've seen that defense. They've been in position to make plays. They just haven't made the plays. And until they show me that, and I just told you the stat of the 22 chunk plays, 22 chunk plays in two games, 
I'm going to expect Oklahoma because that's what Lincoln Riley does. But I, 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 I have Texas 48-44. Nice. Okay. That Longhorns, both of us. My Every colleague I have yep. in the market that I've worked with this week has picked Texas. So uh, no pressure for, well, for the Longhorns. that Oklahoma is going to kick their ass. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, before, I, before I let you go, I, I've got to get into this. You know, for those who don't know, I called him Mike Hardball Hardage for a reason. Mike played uh, 13 years in Major League Baseball for several teams. The Montreal was a team that drafted you, correct? Yeah, yeah. Montreal drafted me in the second round out of high school. That's right. And then 13 years later, I mean, we're talking Yankees and we're talking a, a list of, of teams and obviously – uh, you were a talented baseball player and, and had a successful career. 13 years in any professional sports is pretty incredible. Um, but I, I've got to ask you, and this is coming from somebody that's not a baseball fan. I'm just not. You know, I grew up in a place that baseball wasn't a, a big staple for us as kids. You know, I, I can't remember if I ever actually have swung a bat, at a, a real bat at a real baseball. I don't know that I've ever done that before. You know, it's wiffle balls and wiffle ball bats and uh, things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, but I'm a fan of the history of it. Like, I'm a history buff in general. And when you look at baseball through American history in the 1900s, baseball is, you know, stride for stride with everything. You know, the, the, the Roaring Twenties, the Great Depression, World War One, World War Two. Uh, you know, the, the, a league of their own, women in baseball, you know, the, the Negro Leagues. And, and it's just baseball tells the same story that our country does. And, I, and I've loved it. I've loved it forever. And what tainted it for me started with McGuire and Sosa. And you just felt like baseball had sold itself out for ratings. Baseball was losing people as the world sped up. And now the world is at a, such a fast pace that baseball feels like they can't keep up. But what they should have done is just stay the same. Because the reality is I've got interns right now that are 20 years old that love baseball. They don't miss a game. It's always going to be there. But baseball sold out to be popular. But what happened this last year as the Astros essentially fixed the World Series and then baseball just said, here, put out your hand, let me slap it and let it happen. Bro, are you devastated? Like, I'm sick about it. Like, baseball, it, it just, it, like, the playoffs are going off right, right now. And I'm like, when the World Series starts, I wouldn't miss a game. And I'm not even a baseball fan. But it just seems less than now because they allowed it to be taken advantage of, right? I mean, and, and did, essentially did nothing about it. Well, I'm, 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 I'm going to say this, and, and I'll give you a little credence to that, and, and I, I respect that. But as you said, I played for 13 years. I was around the game quite a bit. And when I was, because I was a middle infielder, we used to always have to change our signals. We used to always try to pick it up. I would be on second base getting ready to steal a bag or something, and I would notice the catcher get ready to put a sign down. And if he put down a, a sign that I knew I could get this bag on, that's what I did. And I would come into the dugout, and I would say, hey, do y'all want to know what's coming if I'm on second base? If not, cool. If you do, don't. So that's been going on throughout history. So I put that part of it. The problem was the, the electronics or the alleged electronics and things that were being said about it. They were saying that they were using buzzers. There's no evidence to it. They got immunity. They got immunity, the Astros, got immunity because they actually spoke. 
the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Red Sox didn't speak to it. Right? They wouldn't. They wouldn't. They wouldn't say, "Oh no, 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 we're just going to not talk about it." They were busted as well. Major League Baseball decided, "I'm not going to do it." They kind of turned a blind eye to your point about Sammy Sosa. They sold themselves out because the commercials chicks love the, the long ball. They were the people, the kids weren't playing the game. And you know, as I know, we're both uh, strong young black men. And I, I decided to play. You decided not to. You grew up in an area where baseball wasn't prevalent. My mother loved the game of baseball. She got me involved in it. I stuck with it. I had football offers as well, but I knew I was going to be a professional baseball player. With all that being said, the, the, the game has always been tainted. Pete Rose was betting on baseball, and they won't let him in the Hall of Fame, but he's an all-time hits leader. That is stupid to me. That is stupid to me. There was people, Ty Cobb, that were using cork bats. They were spiking. They were doing different things. People were on amphetamine. I mean, the game is crazy, man. It's like Lyle Alzado being on steroids, right? right? So when you look at everything as a whole, as a whole, the Astros championship, they still have to hit the home runs. They still have to be able to hit. And people, I know, if I know what's coming, I will have an advantage as well. But I got to make sure that nine other people don't make the play. I get it. But the problem is, Punish everyone, Rob Manford. Punish everyone. My my good friend, Reed Ryan, has now got from demoted for for being with the Astros and now he's in charge of some other stuff that you don't even see Reed Ryan anymore. He was the face. He was the face. Nolan Ryan left because of some of the stuff that was going on. And the Astros now with all the, the scandal and everything, worst record, Dusty Baker taking over, they are now in the ALCS getting ready to try to play for a championship with no buzzers, no fans, no pitching. They're missing seven, I think it's like eight starters off of the bullpen. Those guys were talented anyway. They got an edge, but those guys were talented. First round pick, high dollar guys, they were making money. I get your point, bro. I really do. But you got to understand, they were the scapegoats because they won. If the Dodgers won, they would have got in trouble. The Yankees won, they would have got in trouble. And don't forget, the Red Sox were under investigation. Oh, by the way, they won the World Series too. So let's just not put it all on Houston because. Major League Baseball sold their soul, not just the Astros. Mike, thank you so much for your time, my friend. I really, really, really appreciate it. Hey, man, anytime you need me, it's always a pleasure chopping it up with you, man. You crack me up and you bring it 100, and that's what I love about you. All right, my friend. I'll see you this weekend. All right, for sure. Later. The Sam Mays Podcast is a production of P-Squared Media.